doing, wrestling fans? And welcome to another edition of John Arizzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight Podcast. We are the only wrestling podcast that brings you back 30 years with vintage audio featuring some of the biggest names of that time. This episode, we do it again. We have a very special guest on today's show who was in the WEVD studios with me back on March the 6th, 1993. And we will review that episode with him today, and it's going to be a wild one. The Pro Wrestling Spotlight covered all the news and breaking developments that happened in real time, and now we get to relive those historic moments right here on this podcast. Today, we review the Pro Wrestling Spotlight morning show, Pro Wrestling This Week, on 1440 WNYG in Babylon, New York, and then the evening show, The Big Show, on WEVD with vintage clips from those broadcasts from March the 6th, 1993. I want to remind everybody that our Patreon account is very important to us. It helps to cover the production costs for this show and the distribution of the show. And I would appreciate your support. If you're not currently a member of the community, why don't you just go to patreon.com slash John Arezzi. $5 a month gets you in the door, and that gives you access to right now 194 shows uh actually 197 shows and then we have earlier shows from college when i was in college with pro wrestling spotlight in the 70s and of course uh, uh we have other exclusives for you as a patron you get uh photo sets from the 1970s you get eight millimeter films i shot from the early 70s including andre the giant's first match at madison square garden march 26 1973 so much more vintage audio, vintage video. Uh, we have Zoom calls. Uh, we give away vintage wrestling magazines to some of the patrons in the upper tiers. So uh, join it today if you haven't. That's the uh, patreon.com slash uh, John Arezzi. Patreon.com slash John Arezzi. And our eBay store is rocking as well. There's some really cool vintage stuff up there that I put up over the last week. So if you're a fan of uh, vintage wrestling memorabilia, Old rock and roll memorabilia. I have some pictures I shot back in the day of Journey and Queen and and Billy Joel and Paul McCartney and Elton John and on and on and on. Those are all up on our eBay store. Just look for Matt Memories there. Uh, so we're gonna have a uh, we have a lot of stuff up there. So anyway, I'm gonna get right uh, right down to it. I'm gonna bring Marsh on. Marsh, how you doing? Hey, John. I'm doing really good. I am excited about this one. <laughs> me too me too this episode was so cool to put together or even chop up i should say because there's a lot in here. when i heard it when i heard it i was like i hadn't heard it in 30 years i heard a little bit of it uh when we were doing that you know, best of what's coming up in 19 uh in 2023 from 1993 and uh, hearing the entire show it blew my mind this show blew my mind so uh without further ado uh the guy that was in the studio with me on March the 6th, 1993, he's agreed to join us tonight, and I want to welcome and bring on my dear friend, Conan. Uh, Conan is here with us. Conan, how you doing, my friend? Yo, what's up, John? What's up, Marsh? Hey, how you doing? All right. It was uh, it was great to see you at Cauliflower Alley reunion and uh, and see you get your award and and see Ray with you, and, and uh, uh, that was great to see you there, man. I, I hope everything is going well for you, first and foremost. Yeah, it was good to see you and everybody there, Kevin Sullivan, and, you know, I hadn't seen Sabu in a long time, and just, you know, it was a great atmosphere. I'd never been to it. I always heard about it, because I would always yeah. read it in Dave's 
Meltzer's um Observer. newsletter. Yeah. Yeah. And uh but I really didn't know what to expect and it was a really nice experience. You know, Medusa was there and mm-hmm. um it was really nice. I really enjoyed it and I thank you for being there and you know putting me over. Yeah, you know, and being asked to MC it was very special for me. Yeah, uh, the second year job. I did that, and with Medusa and uh, Jimmy Hart was there as well. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, I enjoy the the fraternity of everybody that yeah. has been in the business over all the years, and that is a very worthy organization that helps uh, uh, that helps uh, the people that were in this business that need help. And so that was a pleasure, and it was great to see you. But uh, uh, you, of course, host uh, right now. You do so many things. I mean, you are uh, not just uh, with your podcast, Keeping It 100, which I am an avid listener of. Thank you. But uh, you're still involved in the business in so many other ways. But today, we're going to talk about a historic visit that you made to New York uh, on March uh, in before, March of before 93. We, before we start, I just wanted to ask you a question and make a comment. The first question, why do you have all these pictures of all these bands? Were you a photographer back then and you could get a backstage pass and that's how, what you did in WWE or how? Well, I, I was always a photographer. I mean, I started shooting pictures at wrestling you had when to I was be young. 14. I was, four, I was 14 when I started shooting wrestling professionally. I was 14, right. 15 years old. Uh, but I always. But how uh, would you get a pass to get ringside to take pictures? Uh, well, I mean. Uh, I started off as uh, someone who just, I started Freddie Blassie's fan club. Right. That got me backstage for the first time. Through and then Freddy? I started t- through Freddie. And then I just started taking pictures and selling okay, them. Okay, let me as ask you freelance. this question. Why would Freddie answer? A, how old were you? 14, 15. He's one of the most popular guys in wrestling. Why would he re- answer a 14 year old out of curiosity? He, he, he was flattered that you had a fan club for him or what? Yeah, here's what happened. I had uh, had designs. I wanted to start a fan club for him. I didn't know what I was doing. I just, I said, you have to, back then, you well, had. Back then, everybody had fan clubs. Right, mm-hmm. but you In had. The back had, of the Freddy- magazine, let me just yes. tell everybody that doesn't know <laughs> the wrestling magazines back in the day, all right? Like mm-hmm. towards the back or in the back, right? Am I right or no? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you are, yeah. They had like wrestlers, Bruno San Martino's fan club, you know, this guy's fan club. And if you like that wrestler, you joined the fan club because you guys were all fans of this guy, you know, and they were like pen pals and shit. It was really mm-hmm. wild. That doesn't exist anymore, right? Yeah. No, it doesn't. And I, and, uh, and I, you know, Freddie for me was just somebody that I, I used to buy all the wrestling magazines, all the newsstand magazines when I was a kid. I mean, and Blassie was a guy who was a baby face out in California. He was a cr- crazy, tremendous heel on the East Coast. He had recovered from all these life threatening injuries. And he was just great so promo, believable. Great personality. Oh, my goodness, yes. So uh, Jeff Walton ran Freddie Blassie's fan club before I did. In, He's in uh, California, uh, right? Yes. And then he handled all the publicity for the Olympic Auditorium. And, and uh, I, I, you know, based on what I had learned, you have to have a permission slip from the wrestler and to start mm-hmm. a fan club. So I wrote up this little permission slip. I, Fred Blassie, give John Arezzi. Uh, permission to start a fan club in my honor. And here I am. I go to the dressing room at Madison Square Garden. There's all security guards there. And um, and so I said, I want to see Fred Blassie and get him to sign this. And they looked at me like I was nuts. Uh, but one security guard, he was a little younger, he said, hold on a second. And he took the piece of paper back into the dressing room. And uh, about 10 minutes later, he comes out and it's signed by Fred Blassie. So I was like, 
okay, I didn't get backstage at that point. So I was like, I, and my friend who was with me, he's like, ah, he just signed it himself. Blasi didn't sign that. So I mailed it to Jeff Walton in California, and I asked him if it was authentic. And he sent me a package back with all kinds of Blasi programs and a letter saying it is Freddie's autograph. It is his signature. You have permission to start the club. So I started the fan club and started writing my own little newsletter called King of Men, I called it. And, and then I'd mail it to Jeff, who was friends with Fred, and Fred would read these newsletters. And all of a sudden, I started getting letters from Blassie. I mean, he, he was like, I, I thank you so much for starting this. And, and then he would say, you know, I'm going to be at Madison Square Garden on March 26th, and uh, I'd love to see you there. So I took that letter to the security at the head of the, you know, at, at, at the garden. And they took the letter in the back. And a couple minutes later, they're waving me in the back. And there's Blassie, you know, and there he is. And I get to meet him and interview him. And Do you remember what he told he, you the first time you met him? Yeah, he was just so happy that I was doing it. He was very gracious and kind. We took That's pictures. Cool I did an interview. Yeah. And he was very supportive of the club. Uh, and the club won fan club of the year in 1974 and the best monthly newsletter. And uh, he corresponded with me. And that's how I started getting backstage was Blasty would let me backstage. And then I start taking pictures and I sell a story on when he became a manager, uh, managing Nikolai Volkov. And that was my first published story. But I didn't have a press pass. Uh, it wasn't until. I started freelancing and selling articles to Ring Magazine, Ring Wrestling Magazine in Natlo Bay. And, and I worked there over the, over the summer uh, of 75, 70, 74, 75, uh, that uh, they gave me a little press card. So I knew where the, I knew where Capital Wrestling, which was the Worldwide Wrestling Federation offices, were on 42nd Street and 8th Avenue in Manhattan. And I see this little guy called Willie Gilsenberg, who they said was the president of the WWF. Okay, so I follow him into the into the hotel where the office is. He gets in an elevator. I get in an elevator, and I knew the office was on the second floor, but I pushed the fl the top floor, like floor seventeen, and the door closes. And he goes, "Oh, you made me miss." my floor. So I gave him an elevator pitch. Literally, I'm from Ring Magazine. I want to get a press pass. Can I, you know, da, 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 da. and all of a sudden he goes, follow me. And so on. And then the second floor, he opens it up. And then there's the Capitol Wrestling offices. He opens it up and there's Grilla Monsoon, Arnold Skolin. And he goes, Arnie, give this kid a press pass. So I, I got a photographer's pass and that. And then I, I was at ringside shooting pictures next to George Napolitano and Bill Apter wow. and, you know, the Japanese photographer. Paul Heyman. And he wasn't there yet. He came later on. So, I mean, beginning in January, I think it was January of 75 or March of 75, I was at ringside every show at the Garden shooting pictures. And that's why I have thousands and thousands of pictures now that no one has of every star in that territory. And I saw well, but so were you able stories. to use the same press press to take pictures of rock groups? No, no, no. I used to just go to concerts because I love photography. So I, you know, I, I I went to college in Boston. I used to go to all the shows in Boston, you know, Billy Joel, Elton Elton John at the garden. I just shoot pictures because that's what I love to do. And now I have all of these archives of all of these vintage concerts and i'm making them available on ebay now you know i'm yeah that's like, you huge know, bro i love them because i, I that era 
and I have all the negatives and all that stuff. So, I mean, my archives is pretty extensive. I mean, not only the eight millimeter films I have and the, and the, you know, the videotapes of when we went to Southeast Asia together and all that, I have so much stuff that, uh, you know, I, I, I license footage now to different networks when they need Good, bro. I'm footage. happy for you. Good. I'm glad so, that you're yeah, able to so monetize all of that. And then the baseball stuff, uh, you know, real fast. I John Gibbons, when I worked for the New York Mets uh, in the minor leagues in 1981, when I left wrestling for the first time, I got a job with the Mets. And uh, John Gibbons, who was a first-round j- draft pick at the time with Daryl Strawberry, was my uh, roommate. We shared a house together. Uh, and that's how I got to know John, 42 years ago. And I kept in touch with him. I helped his daughter here in Nashville. She was trying to you know, get her career started. And uh, before you know it, I mean, John and I are in business together. Uh, um, I represent him as his agent. I got him a book deal. Uh, and now we have this podcast that's just, it's lighting it up. I mean, because this guy's like, this simple man, everyday guy. He's a straight shooter, and the podcast is very entertaining. So that's what I'm doing today, and I'm doing this. So I'm having fun with my life, man. Good. Good, good, good. And I was having fun 30 years ago because you were in town. You, Dave Meltzer had introduced us because Scholar, Ron Scholar, who was a listener to the radio show, wanted to bring Lucha to the United States. And I got a hold of you through Dave, and we started talking. And this week was when you flew to new york to have meetings with scholar and myself about bringing triple a to the united states really? so wow. this is this is the night it happened and scholar as we'll hear is in the control room he was at he was in the studio that day okay. so uh, this was where it started man wow yeah i've <laughs> never crazy. heard this yeah yeah it's wow. gonna be fun so, uh, you know, right now we're going to go back 30 years in March. I mean, uh, I want to give it to you to kind of lead the way where we can uh, reminisce with Conan and, and, and talk about this historic night in the yeah. studios of WEVD in Manhattan. Yeah. I mean, and something that I took away from this, too, is just listening to Conan's uh, uh, podcast and hearing him speak at the thing. Uh, 30 years ago, he was the same guy. I mean, you were the same guy back then, just as honest and open, and and I love it because we even open up this show different than all the other ones because there is no Don Don Liable, there's no news capsule. He's in Massachusetts covering Kowalski versus Honky Tonk, and that comes up later. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely comes up later. But so how we're opening up this one today instead of Don Liable is actually the first meeting of Terry Funk and Conan. Uh, I'm just going to go to it if you're ready to hear it. Let's do it. Let's hear it. I'd like to welcome you, Conan, to the program. Uh, welcome to the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Welcome to the United States. All right, thank you very much, and I'm happy to be back in the United States. Uh, I grew up in Miami, and I'd been away from here for about two years. And uh, we will talk wrestling with Conan tonight. Also joining us direct from the Double Cross Ranch. That's down in Canyon, Texas. None other than the former champion, Terry Funk. And uh, let's see if we could bring Terry on right now to say hello to him. <clears throat> Terry, are you with us tonight? Okay. Uh, Terry Funk is there, and uh, he is joining us from uh, the trip uh, from the Double Course Ranch. Terry, are you there? Am I there? Is this John Arizzi? Yes, sir. 
How you doing, Big John? I'm running around the Texas Panhandle right now. Always having fun. Having a hell of a time out here. Well, I'd like to introduce you to Mr. Uh, uh, should I mention your name? Yeah. Carlos Espada, known as Conan down in Mexico. Uh, Carlos, say hello to Terry Funk. Hello, Mr. Funk. I'm a big fan of yours, and it's a pleasure to say hi to you. Carlos, Carlos, I've watched you a million times on TV. You are wonderful. And we're going to talk. You are wonderful, Carlos. I think you're wonderful. Thank you very much. Well, in a way, I, uh, you're one of my mentors, so to speak, and I've tried to learn a lot from you, and I think I have. Well, I hope so. Um, I don't know. I don't know how good that is, really. Uh, uh, gosh, you might have picked the wrong person to learn from. You know? nah, you're the best. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. I don't know if I really am or not. But, uh, okay, gentlemen, uh, Terry, Terry, you're going to be with us for the hour. Uh, do you keep in touch with Terry Funk or no? I talked to Terry. It was probably about a year ago. Uh, his memory is certainly not what it used to be. And, oh, that's uh, I, a shame. And I wanted to, you know, see if he would come on the show. And, and, and uh, he didn't recognize me and, you know, my boy. Then he did. Then he didn't. So, uh uh, it just didn't happen because it wasn't, it wouldn't be fair to bring him on. And, and, yeah. uh, what he shame. was over the years, man, uh, one of my favorite people of all time. And you were, you were saying before we started that, you know, the funks were so big in, in your life as well. Right. So growing up in Miami, you know, the, one of the biggest feuds was, uh, the funks, Dory funk and Tori and Terry funk, their brothers versus Jack and Jerry Briscoe, who are brothers. And it was just yeah. incredible, you know, the heat, the, the wrestling matches, a different psychology, different time, different type of wrestling from today. But it worked back then, you know, probably wouldn't mm -hmm. work now, but maybe who knows. But it worked back then. That's for sure. And, um, you know, and then when I finally got to meet him, uh, he's such a great, charming, cool guy, you know, just laid back, you know, doesn't act like a diva, just a great yeah. human being. Did you meet him for the first time when we did that first triple uh, A run in the United States, yeah. San Diego? Cause we yes. gave him an award. And yes. uh, so that was the first time. And, right. uh, and yeah, then later in ECW. Special. later in ECW. And then, uh, we did that whole angle in Chicago in 1995. Right. Remember that show yeah, that we almost broke caused the riot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cause that was me and you and, and bringing it in and, and, and Paul Heyman, was involved on the ECW. It was kind of like ECW meets AAA meets International Wrestling All Star. So it was, it was a show that the WWE owns. They have that show because ECW's really? production, ECW's wow. production crew filmed it, and that show was there. And I had spoke to somebody who saw the footage, and was like, "This is phenomenal." But they're going to keep it buried. And no one is ever going to see it. I mean, that show is like one of the most spectacular shows. It'll that I ever so, promoted. It'll surface. Somewhere. I hope so. Yeah, that that was amazing because we had Cactus Jack in a six man tag with Rey Mysterio and Sabu, and uh, it was. Bro, just I remember that I got into the ring. I remember there's some a run in or something, and I'd never ever in my life been hit that hard with a chair. He hit me really hard in the back, and um, I was like, "Oh my God, what are you doing?" And he goes, I'm just trying to protect your gimmick. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's just a gimmick. Well, when, once he hung Pero Aguayo at the rope, because he yeah. had come in as a second and was a babyface, then he turned during the match. 
the place went nuts. Yeah. It was like that was the first time I, I, I felt like this is going to be a full scale riot. Yeah, that's good heat. You know, that was it real was genuine heat, just like when we went to L.A. That was incredible. Uh, it was yeah. incredible. Yeah. And that, who knew? I mean, we were getting started. Just this was like that's why this is so cool to talk to you about, because this was when it was starting to come together. And, and Marsh, I mean, we we got all these clips. So let, let's continue yeah. on with what we got to listen to that uh, happened 30 years ago. Yeah, that was cool. I, I even uh, I was pulling up on the Wikipedia to find out when Conan had his run in ECW, and I did find just a blurb in there that there was a co-promoted ECW AAA event in Chicago. They don't seem to know the name of it or anything or when. It was like a <laughs> yeah, who knows? I oh, no, I want to say it was a Triple Mania. Triple Mania. Yeah. No, 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 no. Actually, it wasn't a Chicago show. Here's a ticket from it. Oh, what was wow. it called the new? What was it? It was uh, it was the new International Amphitheater on Halstead Street in Chicago. Uh, it was October the twenty first, nineteen ninety five, and a AAA Lucha Libre. This is one of the. But did the show have a tickets. name or a theme? No. No, it was just a it was just a, just a co promoted show with all with all the AAA going to Chicago for the first time in yeah. many years. I and remember then, Ray Mysterio couldn't go because he was getting married that day. But he was there. Was he? In Chicago, mm -hmm. he was there. He was in that six man tag. Okay, then I'm misremembering. Yeah, must be a different show. He wasn't able it to make. Probably, it could have been a different one, and maybe it was Southeast yeah. Asia. Who the hell knows? I mean, when did what year did he get married? Do you remember? No, 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 no. I remember we were doing something in the United States, and he missed a show, and I thought it was this one. But you're right; he was there. Mm. Yeah, he was there. Yeah, I got the photos, and it was it was just uh, it was just what a great memory. But uh, uh, yeah, we got a long history, man. <laughs> <laughs> one other thing that was that you mentioned in the intro. Uh, I thought it was notable because I've heard people nowadays say uh, when they talk about Conan, they're always saying, you know, people don't realize how big Conan was. They said he was like Hulk Hogan in AAA. Well, here 30 years ago, you said the same thing. This guy is the Hogan of AAA, like of, of Mexico. He's bigger. Uh, it was cool to hear that 30 year old voice say that because it's easy to say that now in retrospect, but then everyone knew like that was so cool. Yeah, we're introducing the American audience to him really for the first time uh, since yeah. him leaving the, that with that short run of WWF, which we we talked to uh, yeah. talked to him about yeah. as well. Uh, so you guys started talking, you and Terry. Uh, here's Terry talking a little bit about AAA and watching it, and then you go on Conan to talk a little bit about NWA and what it's turned into with WCW. Okay, because you have Conan next to you. That's right. And I want to say this, and this is a compliment to him and his promotion and uh, the people that are behind him, that uh, they have a excellent promotion. And a few people out there that are listening to this show haven't watched the Spanish wrestling from Mexico, well, you're making a mistake because it's very, very good. It's very competitive. It's entertainment, but a lot more athletic ability than anything else and i think that that overrides a lot of what we're seeing in this country today and uh that's a compliment to you conan it's a compliment to your your fellow wrestlers from mexico that uh it does it mesmerizes me and uh i damn sure look at it every time i get a chance to watch it on the television 
Well, thank you very much. And uh, if you watch it tomorrow, I don't know when it comes out over there in Texas, you're going to see one of the greatest shows that AAA has ever produced. It was uh, incredible from the first match to the last. But uh, the, the goals that have been set by our president, Antonio Pena, every match tries to outdo the other. And we all have a very professional uh, we challenge each other to outdo the preceding match. But before I continue, I wanted to say something. I just want to digress for a moment. I want to say something about the NWA. It's a shame. I was a, since I, I was, a, I grew up in Miami. So obviously what I watched was the NWA. I watched Jack Briscoe, Dusty, the Funks. That's oh, the you watched the Funks. <laughs> yeah. That's the wrestling I grew up with. That old style, you know, kick-ass wrestling, which I so dearly yeah. loved. And uh, some of those great technical matches uh, with Dory and Jack and Hiro Matsuda and so on and so forth. But the, the, what I'm trying to get at is this. It's a shame that the NWA, after so many years of prestige and having direction, has no focus. They're changing. Uh, the championships are changing hands every other week. They turn people for no reason. The people are lost. I watch WCW every time, every time I get a chance down in Mexico, which is about every Every other week, I'm completely lost. Some of these videos that they make, like uh, I saw one of something about the White Castle with Vader and Sting. I mean, you're insulting every human they being. They are. It's insulting your intelligence. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, I think what they should do, and, and I really mean this, I think they should have a booking committee and... I, o I have always felt it's bad to give too much power to one person like they did with Watts. You need a balance. Uh, uh, you need you need a system of checks and balances. And what you should do is have like three or four people that know about wrestling. Like, for example, I would say Ricky Steamboat, Ric Flair, yourself, somebody else where you guys have a lot of knowledge. You know what you need to do to get angles over. That's what they should do. We have no time to put Jim Hurt or anybody else on on-the-job training. This is a business where you can't be losing money. But that's my personal opinion. Wow, that was quite a rant. Um, I, I don't even remember this, bro. I'm listening to it and just kind of popping in my head. Yeah. Going, um, but uh, you yeah. were always outspoken, though. But you were always honest with your assessment on what was going on in the business, and you always had this, you always had this edge about you, and you didn't hold anything back. You were just who you were, and you are to this day. Yeah, yeah. I think it just even listening to me back then just me recommending him, Ric Flair, <laughs> Ricky Steamboat, but I'm thinking, yeah, those are three knowledgeable guys that could probably have run that company a lot better than Jim Hurd was. Or or Bill Watts. Right. And there are others that were involved. Yeah, with bro. When time. I first got hired with WCW, Bill Watts hired me, and he was a complete, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had uh, actually had Mark Madden <laughs> on a couple of weeks ago because he's the one that sent the facts where Watts had all that racist stuff in an interview with Wade Keller. Oh, that's and, right. Uh, yeah, so it was 30 years ago. I'm like, I'm going to reach out and see if Madden will do it because he faxed it to Henry Aaron. He faxed yeah. the transcript, yep. and that was, the guy, that was the final straw for Watts. It was like and, the human relations thing, and Hank Aaron yes. got rid of him, yeah? Yeah, that was the end of it. That was uh, so. That was kind of cool to bring. Him, but Madam was ranting on him, and like it was, it was, in, it was incredible stuff. It really reminded me of what we used to cover thirty years ago in Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Everyone would be just shooting, and and you know it was the only show ever to do that back then. Now, back then, when you had your radio show, was thirty years ago, correct? Yeah, started actually 33 years ago, but yeah, this was 30 years ago. Did you tell me, man, I could be misremembering again, that Paul Lee used to call into the show? All the time. Okay. He was now, in the studio like all the time and on the phone all the time. Okay, so 
My question is, but did you already know him from being a photographer or was he a caller on the show first? Here's the, here's the, here's the crazy part of it. When I was in college and getting ready to wind down the Blassie fan club, Paul was a member of the Blassie fan club. Right. From, from Scarsdale, Paul right. Heyman. So he paid his membership dues and, and, uh, he was just starting to get in. And then he wrote me and asked me if I, if I wouldn't mind that he would take over the fan club. So I was like, go ahead. And he started fan clubs with Blassie, Albano, and the Grand Wizard, the three wise men that right. he uses today. So I met Paul uh, for the first time. It was in 1982. I hadn't been to a wrestling show in a while. Uh, and I, uh, uh, George Napolitano gets me in. I'm in the back. And there's Paul. Uh, Paul is a photographer now. And uh, I was there with Blassie. And Andy Kaufman was there. Uh, and, uh, so I see Paul and, and, uh, you know, say hello to him. And, uh, he says, let me take a picture with you guys, you know? So he takes a picture of me, Blassie and Kaufman, which I never got by the way. And I hadn't seen Paul it was 1982. And the next time I saw Paul was when I started the radio show in April of 89. I got backstage at the show WCW show and there's Paul. And I didn't even put two and two together. And I was, I said, Hey, how you doing? Uh, Mr. Dangerously, John Arizzi. He goes, I know who you are. He goes, boy, did you get fat? <laughs> that was the first thing he said to me. And, and after that, he, he came on, he came out to the studio like two weeks later and he'd call like he, between him and Mick Foley, those were the two guys that were on the show all the time. They were my most frequent guests in the entire run of the show from 89 to 95. Right. Did you ever go to any of his ECW shows? I went to all of them. Really? Yeah. Did we see each other there or no? Absolutely. We were in business together. I mean, I, I kind of, if you remember, uh, Southeast Asia 93, Paul Lee was on that trip with us. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's when he put Public Enemy together. That's when he met you. And, yeah. and, and before you know it, I mean, when you guys wanted to go in there, I was helping facilitate the communication between you and Paul because Paul was a lot, you know, unresponsive a lot. And it took a while for us to get to travel and to book Ray and yourself and psychosis on that first run. So, yeah, I was I was there all the time. Well, I had I forgotten about time. that. All right. Mike. And listen, right. look at your career. Look how many things you, you know, it's like I have a memory. I don't know why my memory is so good. Yeah. But I wasn't ever in the ring except for a couple of times. So I didn't get I didn't take the bumps that you guys took. My goodness. Yeah, I also smoke a lot. So. Well, I do too, but that's another thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, it was so cool to hear uh, your rant on that too, because there's nothing you say in this whole show that like anyone would say didn't age well. You know what I mean? Everything right. you said sounded smart then and aged great. You go, yeah, he was right 30 years ago, you know? Uh, always been keeping it 100, which is fantastic uh this next one john's talking about triple a show that he saw and leads into why you're in new york uh and you uh you give a really good little story here uh for those of you in the new york area i have my uh, my attorney in the other room also mr scholar uh on galavision it airs on sunday nights the triple a promotion airs on sunday nights at 7 30 is it about uh, 7 30 or so about eight o'clock and it's a, how, how long of a program is it usually? A couple hours? Two hours. Two hours. I saw a show, the February 14th show was, was spectacular. Uh, it was in the middle of a driving rainstorm in the middle of the show. Yeah. Uh, 
the matches were out doing each other. There was a six-man tag match where each one of the individuals in the ring had done a spot off the top rope outside to the arena floor. Phenomenal. Yeah. And, of course, when Conan's music starts to, to introduce him to the crowd, the place erupts. And uh, very, very exciting. And uh, I have to ask you a question. What are you doing here in the, in the New York area? What uh, what brings you to uh, well, the East Coast? Well, we're coming down here because uh, we're going to... Uh, we're looking at some locations for a movie that I'm going to do for Mexico. And um, basically because of my popularity in wrestling, I've been able to channel it into soap operas, record deals, and um, now a movie offer. And, you know, you just have to take advantage of the business aspect of this because you don't know wh- when you might get hurt. Uh, you got a lot of sharks around you that want to capitalize on your name. And if you're not smart, you can, you know, you can uh, leave this sport penniless like a lot of boxers lot. and wrestlers in Mexico who uh, they're so busy partying and drinking and living it up with the babes that they got no time to look at, at their financial situation before they know it. Somebody shafted them out of all of their money. So, you know, I'm going to, you know, you know, wrestlers and boxers and a lot of athletes, uh, we're like oranges. We get squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. And when there's no more juice, you just get another orange. And while they're squeezing this orange, I'm going to drink from the cup. <laughs> That's a good, a good analogy. Good analogy. Uh, yeah, again, I I don't remember any of this. <laughs> <laughs> but Scholar uh, was there. You were there. We we, we brought you in because we yeah. were getting meetings together, and then Carol right. and Daryl, who became promoters, yeah. and this was this they was were the, from Washington was D.C. Right? Yeah, this was the yeah. week that started that this started to happen. Right, right. Yeah, I just don't remember the interview. Um, yeah. I don't remember anything. I'm hearing it literally probably for the first time since I ever said it, but it's just cool to hear, you know, what I sounded like back then and what I thought like back then, you know? Yeah. Yeah, You were, you know, you were, you were making headway. You were a superstar in Mexico. You did, you did the novellas, you know, you did the soaps. You did, you were, you know, you were a crossover personality down there. You know what I, you know what I learned early on, uh very 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 early on and it helped me become a booker at a very young age antonio peña was like where did you come up with these ideas and i was like i don't know i just write them down on a piece of paper you know i don't have any uh, you know nobody had ever showed me how to book or how to do angles and one of the things that i remember that i used to do is i used to go to there was this channel there was this television station in Ciudad Juarez where Eddie Guerrero's from called Canal 44, Channel 44. And I would go there every single day because I remember Eddie was like, I can't believe you spent so much time there because he would pick me up and take me to the hotel. He was kind of like, you know, helping me around because I didn't know Juarez and he did. And um, um, I would go there every, every single day and I would just stay there literally for hours watching matches so I could learn moves, listening to promos, listening to what the crowd reacted to. And I learned early on, very early on, and this helped me out with that. A lot of people can wrestle. Not everybody can connect with the audience. And that's what I needed to be able to do. And I think I've always done that no matter where I've been, what gimmick they gave me, I always connected with the audience. And that's the most important thing. And um, so that helped me. So the reason I say this is I also understood that, 
you know, you're going to make more money if you can become mainstream. So that's why I got into soap operas. That's why I did, you know, rap records. That's why I did, you know, theater. I did all these things because I wanted the mainstream to know who I was too. And they, and they knew you. I yeah. Mean, uh, yeah. I yeah. did. Yeah. You were over more than just wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. As you're listening back to any of the stuff that you're hearing, is there anything that you, cause you said that it's interesting to hear what you thought like back then. Is there anything that you're hearing so far that's made you go like, I wouldn't have said that now. No, not yet. But if I oh, do, yeah. I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. Cause for me, I'm like just agreeing with it. I'm like, this is so smart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this next it was one, on, uh, it was honest. It was very honest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also like very aware of, of people twisting your words. Like even the way that you ended things like this is just my opinion. Like you were really, right. you were aware and cautious of all that. And it was just, and still so honest. I love it. Uh, this next one, uh, John asks you right out about the differences between, or just about what it's like working with WCW and WWF. Cause you were, uh, you would just In come both. off of all of that. Yeah. Now, you also uh, have done work for both major groups here in the States, uh, briefly right. with WCW, right. uh, when Ole Anderson uh, was booking, I believe it was 1990, 91, yeah, around there. two years ago. And also, an interesting story with Titan Sports and the World Wrestling Federation, you had actually signed, I believe, a two-year deal with them. Right. Well, I went to WCW, Ole Anderson, I don't know how he knew about me, but uh, um, I remember the only impression that I had about him is that he was a straightforward guy I remember he called me and he goes why do you want to come to the NWA and I said because I really think you have to I want to know what's uh what's um what's the real reason you want to come into into the NWA and I told him because I think you have the best athletes and I want to wrestle against them right well I came in and I I uh tore up my ligament uh I either had cartilage or ligament damage in a match against Bobby Eaton and luckily that Barry Windham taped me up and he gave me a knee brace and I went up hobbling to the ring and I represented Mexico with a guy called Rey Mysterio we beat uh Chris Adams and a Norman Smiley who's now Black Magic in Mexico uh we beat them uh, they were representing England, and then we went up against the Steiners, who were the eventual champions, and they beat us in a match where, uh, you know, Scott really didn't want to prepare anything. So uh, it, it could have come out a lot better because I think Scott right now may be the most complete wrestler in the world that he needs to work a little bit more on learning how to sell i feel and uh he's probably second to hero Hasi now that i think about it but anyways it should have been a better match and uh i remember that ole anderson was fired uh while i was there and jim ross told me don't leave wcw because i will make sure that i get you a spot here just wait till we get a new booker well it took about three or four months before Rhodes ever came in during that time red bastine had seen me in california in independent shows and he told pat patterson about me pat saw me on the starcade he called me i was very very impressed at their treatment you know the they picked me up in a limousine they brought me to the office i spent about an hour with vince mcmahon he was a very charming man he treated me very well you know, that was uh, obviously that might have been a facade. And, um, you know, I told them an idea that I had for a robot outfit. I said, I got this idea where I'll go up. I got some uh, 
uh, oxygen canisters, CO2 canisters on my back, like a little backpack. I press a, bu a button, it emits smoke. I got a, a little tube uh, strapped to my wrist and confetti will come out of one arm and fire will come out of the other. We were going to do flash paper like what Abdullah uses uh, or the Sheik. And, um, you know, it was a real cool outfit. It was futuristic looking. Well, for all of you that don't know what I'm talking about, it was outfit Paul Diamond wore as Max Moon. I went there for a year and a half to TV tapings to um, perfect this outfit because one week the flash paper would get stuck. The next week the CO2 canister wouldn't work and so on and so forth. And then a lot of guys were complaining that how come we got to work his Mexican style and he's so small and he's that and he's that. But, you know, the thing is, is that there was something that they all forgot. A lot of the wrestlers that were in the WWF or are there, you know, and, 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 and in a way I fought Vince because you got people like Terry Funk, you know, you got, uh, you know, people of that, of that caliber who people couldn't believe in them because they weren't six feet eight, 300 pounds and, you know, had all these substances in them. So um, uh, what was happening is if you weren't this big, either this real big fat guy or this real big muscle guy, people just didn't believe in you. So everybody would look at me like, well, what's he doing here? And I would look at them, well, I know how to wrestle. What are you doing here? Because uh, the difference between that I've seen between Mexico and the United States is the wrestlers in Mexico get into wrestling because they want to learn how to wrestle. They 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 um they want to get out of their their neighborhoods. You know they're hungry. They want to get out of there and make some income. And most of the American guys, they're bodybuilders. They say, well, hey, I didn't make it as a bodybuilder. I get into wrestling. I was a powerlifter. I didn't make it as a powerlifter. I get into wrestling. You know. And it's always like the uh, nobody wants to learn how to wrestle. Nobody wants to learn how to how to apply a hold, which is what they teach you in Mexico. In Mexico, you have to go through uh in front of five old-time wrestlers and convince them that you know how to wrestle or they won't give you your license wow hmm. well you know i think looking back on that that's i was very cocky there but um i think that uh i think there was a certain frustration with me at that time because i was really into like Japanese wrestling and mat wrestling, which in Mexico you had to do. And like when you came to the United States, nobody really mat wrestled. And it was more of a who looks the best and who has the best gimmick. And I was kind of like in that air. And everybody goes through this phase where, oh, I'm a real wrestler. You know, I, I really wrestle. But at the same time, you know, um, you could see that I understood the entertaining aspect because I came up with this robot idea for Vince and he liked it and it was a good idea. And I think it would have worked. The only problem was, is, you know, I just got tired of lugging all these fucking boxes around the United States because I would have to fly from Mexico to LA, pick up all the boxes. Okay. Check them in. And then let's say I flew to Boston and then I had to go to Cape Cod, which just actually did happen. And I had to take, I don't know. It's like two hours away and unpacked. It was just a pain in the ass, bro. And I just got tired of doing it. So I just quit showing up for TV tapings and they fired me, which I yeah. really didn't care at that time. Cause I was fucking like hot fish grease at that time in Mexico. So I was like, fuck it. I, I don't care. Um, but bro, listen to this idea Vince had, which I thought was great. He wanted actually to put a jet pack on my back and have me fly from the entrance into the ring. Can you imagine how over I would have been? But then he oh. found out, yeah, but then he found out, this is back then, that, 
you couldn't do it because of the fire marshal or whatever. But you, but this, this, this is why this guy is such a genius. He goes, he goes, but that doesn't preclude us from doing it in an outdoor auditorium or stadium. And I was like, oh, that's going to get over like a million bucks. I don't know why I didn't do it with Paul Diamond. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Interesting stuff. But uh, one thing you did know was that um, if AAA could get to the United States, you knew what the potential was. Yeah, and we still haven't even hit that potential. It's been a shame. Bad luck, bad timing, wrong business partners, networks. You know, it's been a, a, a... been like snake bitten, but it's going to happen, you know, because, you know, like yeah. Victor Hugo says, there's nothing more powerful than than an idea whose time has come. And once something's, it's their time, it's their time. There's nothing you can do about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were getting excited back then just to kind of toy yeah. with the idea of bringing the promotion to the United States. Yeah. So I wonder if that jetpack idea uh, at all uh, was the beginning of, of the Shawn Michaels entrance for WrestleMania where he comes off that big zip line. I wonder if that's kind of was the seed. I don't know. Why didn't they just have him do a jetpack? But that was an indoor <laughs> auditorium, obviously. Right. But um, yeah, I'm surprised he didn't yeah. do it for anybody else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the AAA thing, I was at the Tempe show that you, that you guys put on just a couple months ago right. and it was amazing. Uh, if it wasn't for, for some of the people we follow though, I did feel like that, more people should have known about it because it was such a great show. I don't think they did a good job of promoting it. And from what I understand, the Mexican, most of the Mexicans live in Glendale and that that's mm. where they should have done it. Mm. Okay. All right. Uh, well, speaking of AAA, uh, this is you telling the story of how AAA kind of came to be and what it's like working with Pena. Now, of course, the phenomenal success in just nine months AAA has had. Can you tell us how that whole situation developed with you working with Mr. Pena and how it has branched off uh, into perhaps the most successful promotion in Mexico right now? Well, Antonio Pena is almost like a a Vince McMahon, except more honest. Uh, You know, um, uh, in in that I mean that he's a visionary. He's a renegade. He breaks taboos. He doesn't let people tell him he can't do this or that. You know, we we used to be in the EMLL, which was the strongest group in Mexico at that time. Uh, We found out that the owner of the EMLL, Paco Alonso, was uh, stealing a lot of our merchandising money. He was stealing a lot. He was he was cutting into our into our guarantees. And it was like a monopoly. Where else were you going to go? So he basically had all of us, you know, uh, by the short and curly. So we don't get another word bleeped out here and uh what happened was is uh pena got sick of it because you know he was designing he was designing all the outfits he was giving wrestlers all their names he was doing all the angles he was editing all the tv he was checking to make sure that the commentator said what they had to say he was doing public relay you know he was a one-man wrecking crew he was doing everything and getting nothing in return so finally he went to televisa which is a television conglomeration which is almost like saying here in the united states cnn fox and abc all put together they they own mexico they do anything they want and and they and they're seen in europe in uh africa and south america and the united states he went over there and he told them hey look i got wrestling as a business we can make money they said yes at the beginning our competition did a lot of things to try to make sure that we never got off the ground which i'm not going to go into now but one of the things they did do was deport me out of mexico uh there was a little payola there so i would get deported for a year thank god through the connections that i had in the government i came back in three weeks a lot of dirty politics but nine months later we brought 
brought down a promotion that's been around for 60 years and the other promotion that's been around for 17 years, we brought them down to their knees. And the only thing they can do is, is look at us in awe. Hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Wow. Yeah, I sounded uh, I don't know. I was uh I was something else back then. But anyways, the But you were 30 years younger too, my friend. Yeah. yeah. Everybody changes as they get older. Yeah, yeah, I was just very competent, cocky guy, you know. That's mm -hmm. that's the Miami in me. That's how you had to be in Miami to survive in a lot of yeah. places in New York too, you know. Yeah. Um so uh just very outspoken and um you know you hear it there you know what i'm saying i mean back then i remember when i did this torch talk very early in the 90s and i remember like i was getting all this feedback from being so honest because everybody was always in work mode and everybody was always trying to rewrite history and i just came out and spoke what i felt and i remember way back then even Wade telling me, Wade Keller, he was like, wow, man, nobody talks like this. So, you know, I just think that uh, I've always been outspoken. That's all I could really say. Well, I, I felt the same way. I mean, when I had you uh, in the studio this night and the things you were saying and the honesty and you aren't holding back anything. And when you say it's cocky or not cocky, it was amazing for me to hear somebody talk about the business with such perspective and yeah it was some cockiness it was confidence but it was kind of a revelation for me because as you said a lot of guys come on in work mode you know the week before i had ultimate warrior on and he was shooting which was kind of cool but you know he still was working this was just total like i'm putting it out there this is my opinions this is what i think and for me and for my listeners at the time, it was very memorable to have you in there talking as honest as you did. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, let's see. This is 30 years ago. The next thing that I have up here, though, is a clip because you ask Terry Funk what he's going to be up to uh, in his career. And he tells you just keep watching, which I think is funny because he never alludes to anywhere he's going to be. He's just no. like, watch everything and you'll eventually find me. Like, right. Right. that's great. But he was so cool in his own way. He was so cool. I still love to talk to him too. I mean, yeah. but yeah, you have a clip of that. Yeah. I have a clip of that because this is the first time that uh, I've heard come across your shows where we're starting to actually hear about ECW, like that, that's yes. going to be happening. Yeah. So I've compiled both a commercial ad read you did. And when you asked Terry what he's doing, cause he alludes to it without saying it. And then you say it without referring, but it's just me. So there you go. Let's hear it. Okay. Uh, lots of things happening for Terry Funk. I know you're going to be in Philadelphia next weekend. Yeah, I'll be in Philadelphia next weekend, and that's going to be a real treat uh, for me uh, to be up there and possibly doing something that will uh, be different as far as uh, your independent promoters are concerned. And I think it's a great idea to go ahead and open up wrestling in Philly and have your own TV show and feature your own wrestlers and I've talked to Todd about it a lot, and I think it's a great idea, and I think it, uh, uh, it's a way to do things in this time and this era in the United States. I'm not so sure that it would work in Mexico or another part of the world, but you have to adapt yourself to what's going on in the world today. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's going on in the world today is that people are starving for for wrestling within an area and hardcore style of wrestling that's uh, 
that's uh, the sport at its best. And uh, hopefully Todd can give it to them and uh, uh, keep it local at the same time. Okay, we're back. And we also want to tell you about some upcoming events in the world of pro wrestling. ECW, the card we're talking about, takes place next week. That's next Friday night. Uh, the taping of the first six shows, which will air on Sports Channel in Philadelphia. Uh, it'll be held at Cabrini College in Radnor, Pennsylvania, in the Fieldhouse. Friday night, March 12th, 7.30 p.m. Saturday, March 13th, 12.30 p.m. That is Cabrini College at Radnor. Uh, Eddie Gilbert appearing at these tapings. Terry Funk, Jimmy Snuka, Sandman, Super Destroyers, all the stars of Eastern Championship Wrestling. For the one show, for one show, it's $10. Or if you want to go to both shows, it's just $15. That's Eastern. CW beginning uh, April 6th on Philadelphia Sports Channel, and they're taping their first six shows next weekend. Oh, that's history, isn't it? Yeah, that is. That's very cool. So that's 1993, right? Yeah. Yep. That's when Eddie Gilbert was booking. That was before Paul Lee had come in. Right. And so and Todd it was still had decided the Eastern Championship Wrestling. Yes, it was. Right. It wasn't until Paul Lee got in there and changed it up, and then Shane did the angle and that's a that's a show to look forward to because I had Shane Douglas, Dennis Carluzzo, Todd Gordon, Paul E. right after that screw job on the very next pro wrestling spotlight back then when that happened in '94. So we'll have that to listen to down the road. Do you still keep in touch with Paul E? Uh, I've tried. Uh, I've had some people reach out, and you know he's politely declined to come on the podcast. Right. You know, uh, but uh, that's understandable. But. Uh, Always He's kind of reserved, mind. bro. It's very hard for me to get a hold of him, too. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen, I I know we had great times back then. He'd call me three in the morning. He'd, you know, uh, he'd run ideas by me. He'd come on the show all the time. He, uh, you know, we helped each other in a lot of different ways back back in the day. And I'll always yeah, be grateful. Yeah, but it's just cool to see his growth from, you know, you knew oh, way yeah. before me. And, uh, you know, I worked for him, with him. and um, uh, just to see where he's at, you know, he's fucking one of the best to do it of all time. He's a, he's a genius, and uh, uh, it's compelling what they're doing with the storyline in WWE right, right now with the bloodline. And uh, I, I, I watch that program to see him and to see that storyline keep developing. He's uh, he's someone that uh, will go down in history as one of the most brilliant minds in the in the history of the business. Yep. Yeah, And every time you think he's done his best work and you go, well, that is what he's going to be known for. He does the next thing, which is his new best work. Like it's, you just don't see that a lot. That is true. Uh, we do get into the phone calls. The phone, the callers were a big part of this. Uh, and to open up our, our callers, we got Mike from college point. And you know who that is, right? No. Mike, you've heard of Mike Johnson, right? Yeah. So this is Mike Johnson when he was a listener of the, of the program. Really? Yes. Me and him actually had a little bit of beef a couple of years ago. Wow. Yeah. Well, well he, is, start, he, started, he started his wrestling career by calling into Pro Wrestling Spotlight. And this, this may be the first time you two ever talked. I Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Mike from College Point, you're next. Good evening, gentlemen. I have one question for each of you. First, all right. how's it going, Mr. Funk? Wonderful. First of all, Conan. Yeah. What did you think of Paul Diamond's pitiful attempt at imitating you in the Maximum Outfit? <laughs> Paul, 
Paul Diamond. No, well, I, um, I wasn't pitiful. I just feel that, uh, you know, he's a good athlete, and I think they never used him right. When he was in the AWA with uh, Pat Tanaka, you know, he was still kind of green, but I think when he got to WWF, he had matured a lot as a wrestler, and I really think he is a good wrestler, but, uh, you know, nobody ever taught him Mexican moves, and I almost feel like Vince McMahon told him, Look, and I may be wrong. He said, look at a tape of Conan and try to do what he does. And, you know, obviously he couldn't do what I did because he wasn't trained in that style. But, um, you know, he wants to make a buck and, and, and I really can't, um, you know, blame him. But I just fought, I just felt that under, uh, that for Vince McMahon, you know, I gave him the idea in good faith and I thought in good faith he would let me go through with it. But so I'm, I'm more bitter with him than I am with Diamond. You know, I just think it's a shame that they even went as far as like copying the hair extensions. Yeah, right. The, the hair extensions, exactly. And um, I just felt that all the shows that I went to, and this is my own personal belief, uh, I felt all the shows I went to, some places there was silent heat because they were more like, well, what's going on here, you know? But I, I, I would hear the feedback from the people because I'm a realist. You know, if the people say, hey, you know, you weren't that good, you know, I like to know that. And if they say, hey, you did good, I like to know that too. And I would always purposely, after the match, hang out and wait for the fans to come out. And I would say 95% of the reaction was, when are you coming back? You know, so I really thought I could have added another dimension to the WWF. Okay, Mike, you got a question for Terry? Yes. If you had five minutes in the ring with Eric Watts, what bone would you break first? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't know where I would start on that, young man. Uh, but I would like to say this and uh, comment a little bit on what Conan has said is uh, you, you can't really blame the individual. And, and Conan doesn't. Uh, it's the organization that he's working for that you have to blame on a situation of, uh, of uh, stealing a guy's identity or, or whatever it might be because uh, uh, the individual is just, you can't really blame them because they're trying to make a living like everybody else. And that's exactly what he told you, you know, Conan told you. I know from uh, way back there as my brother had a, another funk up there, you know, and they can call anybody what they want to call them. Uh, you know, there was an Abe Lincoln. If they want to call him Abe Lincoln, they can call him Abe Lincoln. If they want to call him Jimmy Jack Funk, they can call him Jimmy Jack Funk. There was no relation. You can't do anything about it, but uh, nor can you blame the individual for doing it. It's not the individual you can blame. You have to blame the organization that they're working for. I don't know. That's very interesting because there's a point there where I said um, I should be bitter at McMahon and I'm thinking to myself, why would I be bitter? Because I basically made him fire me by not showing up. But I think I was bitter because they put the outfit on somebody else. And it was my idea. But at the end of the day, right. they patented it. You know, they, you know, right. used, all your ideas are signed over to them, which yeah, I don't think yeah. I the realized. The intellectual that property. Time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he did. That's what he yeah. was famous for, too. So. And didn't they pay for the construction of the suit too? I think I read that yeah, somewhere. Yeah, they paid thirteen thousand dollars. That was wow. very expensive back then. And the other thing is, is that I don't know if he believed him. He must have believed in me because number one, you know, uh, he let me do the thirteen thousand thing. He would fly the guy in from from a lot of times from L.A. The guy that designed it, so he could tweak it. And he also had the fly-in since I did not know American style. And plus, all I knew was Lucha, and nobody could do Lucha there. I think the only guy that came close was Shawn Michaels. Um, 
they would have to fly in a luchador. Mm. So they, they must have believed in me, you know, I'm, but, you know, I just stopped showing up. Um, one one uh, AAA exploded, and we did that huge house in L.A. and the follow-up shows. Did McMahon ever reach out to you or Pena or try to work a, have a working agreement with you? or was No, I think we went to them, if I remember correctly. We went to them because we wanted to figure out a way that we could do like Lucha Libre shows in the United States. And I remember Vince going, well, I don't know what I, the only thing I could think of is we can let you use the, the same uh, venues that we use. And I think we, our idea was like, well, nobody really knows us yet. We were hoping to have like one or two matches, you know, like. On the show. Right. One or two matches on the show or starting the show, however you want. And uh, so people can start knowing what our product is, and then maybe we can do joint shows together. That was me and Pena's idea, you know? Yeah. And then and, WCW, I mean, you did the deal with them and the one pay-per-view, but uh, they kind of, uh, uh, they didn't capitalize on what it could have bu- what, what what been. And there was well, a lot of nobody jealousy. Nobody over there had any understanding of the Latino demographic or Lucha Libre. You know, if you remember yeah. way back then when the Luchadors first came in, the announcers would very rudely and kind of unprofessionally be talking about other matches because they they took they took that type of wrestling as a as a joke but yeah. if you realize now the influence of lucha it's ridiculous yeah it's yeah. definitely yeah. Uh, been influential throughout the in- right. entire business you got some visitors there yeah <laughs> uh, all right we actually have out of all these people that I've worked with you know, that are in different promotions right now, whether it's, um, you know, Pentagon and Phoenix or, you know, uh, Hijo de Fantasma or, and we got another guy, um, that's going to be debuting on dynamite on Wednesday called commander. Mm. This kid is sick, you know, really good. Yeah. Uh, El del Vikingo. I'm great. sure I'm saying that He's wrong. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. When we went to the Tempe show, my girlfriend the whole time was was like, "Who's this dude?" She immediately started following him, and yeah, we've incredible. never been to like a. Oh yeah, yeah, he's a generational talent. Yeah, yeah, very impressive. We were very impressed with the whole show, to be honest. Um, yeah. And it's kind of like you said, though, it's hard to translate sometimes. Like you, you, I think growing up watching the WCW and WWE, like you see luchadors come through, and you're like, "Oh, I get it. It's that style, right?" Uh, I've even been to some local lucha store shows here in uh, in Tucson, but really the AAA one really made a lot of it connect. Where I started to feel like I was really understanding it in a way I hadn't understood it at all. It's it's a whole other world. Well, here's the thing that you know John can attest to is that the problem that American fans have, and even I had a little bit of a problem when I first started watching it, is that we're educated to a certain style. Just mm-hmm. like when you watch Japanese wrestling, they have their they have their own style and even their own universe where things make sense to them that maybe don't make sense in other places. And and Mexico, the thing about Lucha, Lucha's funny because mm-hmm. it's like a dream in real time. It makes no sense to the American eye because you're not accustomed or trained to it. But it's just like, you know, like a dream, you know, like, like you have dreams that sometimes don't make sense. 
Like, why am I in Tibet with my barber, you know, mm-hmm. in a bathhouse? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, but it's a dream, right? Yeah. Uh, why am I flying in my dream? You don't question it. You just accept it. And that's how Lucha is. It's like, a, it's like it doesn't have to have logic. We're just trying to entertain you. Now, if there's a storyline, like the one I had with Perro, that he was, he knows very, it was layered. You know, there was a lot of emotion. You know, there was bloody, there was, you know, it was a long storyline, you know, so we do do storylines, just, it is not, but not every match has to have a story, you know, people just like to watch video game matches, you know, Mm -hmm. wow, wow, whoa, pop, 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 and then we'll, then I'll give them a comedy match. Then after a comedy match, I'll give them a feud. Then after a feud, I'll give them a females match. You know what I'm saying? Just give them a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah, that was a big takeaway, too. We even noticed that, like, there were certain things that we saw happen and could identify. If I saw this in a different show, I wouldn't think, I don't think I'd like this part. Like, this makes no sense. But in the moment and surrounded by everything else, I was, like, loving every second of it. I was like, yeah. But when you're around a real authentic Mexican crowd, like, if you can ever come down to TJ, which, how far is that from where you're at? Uh, It's a little bit of a drive, but I'm not far from there. Yeah, but if you can get a friend to come down with you or whatever... Or if you happen to be in San Diego in the near future, you let me know. You go to a Tijuana show, incredible heat, incredible yeah. atmosphere. And that's what made me fall in love with wrestling. And that atmosphere is still there. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, I'd go yeah. to San Diego uh, semi-regularly. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, as we're kind of going through the show, uh, let me see. There was a couple things that happened here. Oh, Terry did break down what happened with WCW and the I quit match and how they edited it to make it like he had no offense. And that's one of the reasons why he left. Uh, Eric from Brooklyn calls in and asks Terry if he's going to come back to wrestling. And his response is yes. And he goes, where? And he goes, I don't really want to say. <laughs> so again, <laughs> and then like he goes, oh, eh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, eventually he says Japan. And when you ask a follow-up, he goes, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, James from Lindenhurst asks Terry about uh, his fight in 72 against his brother in the tournament and if he was pushed into doing it. And he said he wasn't, but he doesn't think he'd ever be able to beat his brother in a fight, so he doesn't want to do it because uh, this is big brother. Uh, which brings us to the next phone call. It was from Oscar from Queens uh, who, who asked you guys both a good question, which actually leads both of you into – Kind of, this kind of goes back to what you're saying before. You kind of start talking a little more fan style towards Terry. It's you kind of double down on that in this, and I thought that was just really cool. Go back to the phones. I'm going to go to Oscar from Queens. Oscar, you're next. Yes. Hi. I just wanted to uh, say that uh, I agree with both of Conan's and Terry's comments about wrestling in general, and I just uh, wanted to add that they were both speaking with a lot of candor. Now, just one question for each of you. It's the same question. I just want to just different opinions. Um, would you ever reconcile reconcile with the respective promotions that you separated with you, Conan, the WWF, and uh, you, Terry, the WCW? Well, um, <clears throat> I I would reconcile with WWF or WCW just for the simple fact that I've I feel that I have I have something to prove in the United States. I think I've proven a lot in Mexico, and I want to prove to to the fans in the United States who I am and what I'm about. And uh, the only thing that I would do is make sure that 
a lot. See, the contract the WWF gives you, basically, I think you're only promised like $150, and I think you're only promised like $50 per match. You're not even promised medical coverage. I remember I asked Vince specifically about that. I said, what's the deal here? What if I get hurt? He goes, well, our history shows that we take care of our people. I was kind of so excited that I was even being considered to be brought into the WWF. I probably would have signed for, you know, uh, a WWF t-shirt. I just wanted to be in there. But uh, now it's a whole different game. You know, um, I I see that that uh, Vince, when he treated me nice at the initially, might have just been a smokescreen. I would just make sure that I got certain specifics down in the contract, how much money I was going to make, if I'm going to get a percentage, how do I know what percentage I'm going to make? Because they say you get a percentage of the gate, but who figures that out? And how do you know that the person that's figuring it out isn't ripping you off? I'd make sure that I got the percentage that's entitled to me. I just get a lot of specifics, but yes, I would go back. And Terry? Well, I'll tell you something. Uh, first off, is this, when you are a professional wrestler, is you want to accomplish certain things and reach a certain level in your business. And uh, it's very unusual sport because it's, it is worldwide, but it's not worldwide. Uh, Conan has become a star by working extremely hard within his country. And a superstar he has become. And he knows that he has ability and he knows that he can uh, do the job uh, and, and do it well. He would like to show that ability in the United States. And before the Galavision came into being, he couldn't show his ability. But right now, because of Galavision, he is a star within the United States and a star to be reckoned with. And that's what the United States promoters have got to take into consideration because he is very hot in this country right now. I know that uh, I've gone to Europe and I've gone to Japan and everything else. And it's very important to me to uh, be looked at not only by my peers in the United States, but my uh, adversaries and peers throughout the world that say, hey, gosh, this guy really is that good. Hey, this guy can put people in the seats no matter where the arena is. And I truly believe that of Conan, and I... You know, I still believe that of myself as far as WCW is concerned and ever going back there and everything. Uh, it would be uh, difficult, me, more difficult for me to go in there than Conan because I've already proved that I am capable of drawing money. I've proved that I am a good wrestler within this country. But, uh, yeah, I would like to prove it other places around the world today, uh, even still. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm an old fart, too, if you want to. <laughs> that's the bottom line I'm an old part I don't know if I have time to prove it or not good question Oscar from Queens thank you very much for the call a number 212-477-5610 let's John, go yeah. can I say something real quick to tell sure. you know it's to me believe me and I just want to say this on the air as uh, I'm very flattered that uh, you think so highly of me or that you even know who I was I had no watch idea. you all the time I didn't know that you knew me or you've been watching Oh, me. absolutely, because I'm a, I'm a fan of your television production down there. Thank you. I'm a student of the game, and I watch everything and anything I can get my hands on, and I have so many 
uh, beautiful memories of you when I was a kid. I used to go watch you in the Miami Beach Convention Center, and I somehow, uh, right now I'm not a heel, but when I do turn heel, you'll see that my style is uh, is patterned after yours in many ways, and I feel that you're a legend, and you've, you've really inspired a lot of wrestlers, and I really think that, that uh, you know, to this business, uh, you're just a genuine, to me, a living legend, and, and, and I really feel that one day, maybe in Mexico, maybe in Philadelphia, and in an independent promotion, either you and I are going to have uh, a tag team match together, or maybe we'll be looking at each other eye to eye, but either way, it'll be a, a great pleasure for me, and I think a big treat for the fans. Well, I, I want to say one more thing, and that's just not to put, uh, you know, Patchy on the back or anything like that, but anytime. Uh, because it's not a pat on the back, it's the truth. But anytime you say, well, how do I know you? How do I know Galavision? How do I know AAA? Because I keep up with this with my profession. Because you have to, to be on top of it. And whenever I'm sitting out there in Los Angeles, and I turn on the TV, and I see a bunch of guys that are out there that are out drawing everybody else and doing business and big business, and bigger business than the WWF or the WCW at that particular time, I say, hey, what, what's going on? Why are they doing it? And that's why I tuned into the thing, and uh, you guys hooked me too like you hook everybody else in the country. Thank you. And it is. You do get hooked. Once you watch the show one time, you're hooked. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I don't, I don't like I said, uh, I'm sorry to be redundant. I don't remember any of this, but... And it's very cool that, you know, I'm asking this guy, well, how do you know about us? Where do you watch us? Why would you even know who I am? And he's just basically, well, I'm a student of the game like you are. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm keeping on top of it. And he did. He must have been. He was friends with Meltzer, right? Back then. Yeah, he uh, he had a good relationship with Dave Right, back so I'm then. sure yeah. that Meltzer was telling him, hey, these guys are doing monster business or he's reading it on The Observer. But he was obviously up on his game, which is pretty cool. You know, how old yeah. was he back then? Would you say? Wow, I would have to say late forties, early fifties. Right. No, maybe maybe late, probably mid to late forties. Right. Thirty years ago, because he's in his mid to late seventies now. Right. So he was, yeah. So he was just, you know, staying on top of the game even back then. Yeah. Yeah. And what a great, what a great athlete and performer. And you're talking about drawing heat. This guy, he did it all. Yeah, he, was, he was the best. If you don't know much about him, and I think people that listen to your show probably would because they're more like old, yeah. old school know. wrestlers. It's like, go back and watch Terry. He was incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, let's see a couple more things. In your ads, you have early Earl is in studio, and he brought caps for everybody. So again, with the cap saga. The, the paint guy. <laughs> the paint guy. <laughs> they were my said, sponsor man they were my yeah. sponsor and i got a kick out of this one too because in the you say that if you find one of these earl or i think the other guy was tom if you find them to you know that you'll get a discount but the way you had worded it made it sound like kind of towards conan and the guy had to correct you he was like conan doesn't work for us and conan <laughs> does say no but i do recommend this paint and then sits back out <laughs> if you want to hear the entire show unedited yeah. patreon.com slash john arizzi and you could hear the whole thing it's yeah. crazy so funny i like when you do ad breaks and the the, the talent chime in because i feel like what a special treat for the person who bought the ad you know oh especially when paul lee's in the studio he goes oh, wild yeah. 
nuts. That's um, so. This next clip, I've only got two more left. This next one okay. is two callers, Daryl from Manhattan and Lou from Brooklyn, uh, because they they kind of blend into each other, and it's still only like two and a half minutes. It was kind of short because you were, you knew Honky was on the line, and you were trying to get to it, so you ran through a couple callers to get him. Yeah, I wish um, I wouldn't have brought him on, but anyway, <laughs> it makes good radio. It makes good listening thirty years later. But let's yeah. hear that, and then we'll get to him. And number two, Daryl from Manhattan. Hello, John. Yes. I have a question for Conan. Go right ahead. What are some of the champions in your promotion? Some of the champions? Well, um, we have what's called national champions, which obviously is self-explanatory. And um, I think the uh, first one, it would be... Uh, uh, Uni, uh, Lismark is the is a junior heavyweight champion. Uh, the middleweight champion at this time, I believe, is uh, Blue Panther. The welter champion is Rey Mysterio Jr., probably the hottest rookie in the world. And um, those are those are the champions that we have right now. We 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 don't have a world title yet. And what do you think of the Global Wrestling Federation? Uh, the Global Wrestling Federation. That's another one that I was going to go to with Joe Pettuccino until I saw what they were all about. I just really think the truth. I don't mean I don't mean to talk bad about anybody, but uh, it's almost embarrassing to watch that show. Uh, it's almost embarrassing the production value, the talent, not all of it, and uh, it's it's a it's a pretty pathetic show. And I, you know, that's basically my opinion. Okay, number to call two one two four seven seven fifty six ten. We'll go to lineup. Four, Lou from Brooklyn. You're next. How you doing, Conan? How you doing? Uh, my question to you is: Do you think the AAA promotion would ever hold events in the United States? Yeah, well, we held one in Los Angeles, and for those of you that don't know, uh, WWF, I think, was running once a month or once every month and a half, and we outdrew everything they had ever done until Ric Flair and Bret Hart met a few months back. But we probably would have outdrawn them because we left 3,000 people standing outside at the Cal State gym. That, by the way, was televised on Galavision, and we have a very, very strong uh, Latin, con uh, very big uh, following over there because, as you know, that's... Uh, very multicultural uh, city and a lot of Hispanics uh, dominate. But uh, I, 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 what I would really like to do is come into New York City. Okay. We'll move away from uh, Hispanics, but we'll gear more for like a New York audience if they had the opportunity. What, what, excuse me? If they had the opportunity uh, to... Um, also include other than Hispanics like in New York. Yeah, yeah, you know the thing is, and we don't want to make this just uh, focus it just on pure Latin wrestlers, you know, we want to draw everybody and, and I think it's a time that the blacks had somebody that was a champion or somebody that, that had drawing power and that maybe the, the Asians and, and whatever, you know we, we, we just want to draw people and have them watch our style, which we think is the most exciting in the world. Yeah, I was quite the advocate for AAA. I was, you know, for Latinos, for the stuff that I've always stood up for. You know, Lucha Libre, those are the things that I believe in that I think is very exciting and creative. And I think people, when they saw Lucha Underground, was the first time that they actually saw Lucha Libre on TV where we weren't like the, you know, the appetizer. You know, we were the main course and the fucking dessert. You know, and you were That's seeing right. pure lucha libre, and it was really exciting, and it and it just strengthened my belief that all wrestling is good. All wrestling is all wrestling has good and bad, right? And but I just think that it's 
when you get three really good high flyers with three really good bases, Lucha Libre is so creative and so entertaining that even 30 years plus into my career, I still get excited when I watch matches. And that's what keeps me going because it's so phenomenal. And uh, it's just so entertaining. And it's just a shame that it hasn't blown up in the United States yet. There's a lot it's of... There's still a lot of ignorance to it and a lot of kind of disrespect to it, but we're yeah. going to make our mark one day. Yeah, it's never too late for that, man. I no. know that that uh, uh, that this is a this is a country that um, it could go over huge. It could yeah. go over huge if it's done the right way. And you right. know that's what happened. Yeah, we're in just one network deal away from blowing up, bro. Once we yeah. get on a good network and they see the talent in our roster and the storylines and all that. Because, you know, I'll put up, this is going to sound very presumptuous, but it really isn't. Uh, I'll put up my writing against anybody else's writing, you know, so, and the people that, that I know can write a good show with me. I've got some really smart, savvy, crafty, on the pulse of everything people, and uh, we're going to put together some good shit once we get that deal. We're negotiating as we speak, mm. but... um. Uh, once we get a network deal, it's going to be a whole different animal. Yeah, yeah, I, I've seen it. I've seen what it. Could, I've seen what it could be, right. and I hope and I pray for uh, for that to happen here in the states because it's uh, long overdue. Bro, how funny was it when you went to that show in Nashville? Yeah, which was mostly lucha libre, and how hot the people were for everything. <laughs> it was. It was. It was. It just showed right there what the potential yeah. is. Right. And that's Nashville. And that's Nashville, Tennessee. Right. That's right. Is that right, where you're at got... now? Do you still live there? Oh, I'm still I'm still in Nashville. Yeah, I've been here yeah. 22 years now, man. I right. love it here. Yeah, love it yeah here. Nashville's very underrated. People think it's some hick town. It's very nice. Oh, no, it's huge now. I mean, yeah. I've, saw, I've seen a lot of changes, and now, you know, now they're building another new stadium, and now they're negotiating to bring a WrestleMania here. So, uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Animate, animate League Baseball team uh, they already and have a, offices set. and a huge mexican uh population yeah. yeah yeah they just brought soccer here and it's doing really well so i mean yeah it's a, it's a, just in a major uh, metropolitan uh, hub now and uh, of course it's music city and i came here for the music and uh, uh it's been a it's been a good run 22 years here all right, we uh, we have the uh, we got the finale with right. uh, a surprise call by uh, name of Honky Tonk Man, which caused a little bit of heat between him and uh, our guests, especially oh, yeah. Terry. Uh, Terry Funk is still with us, also, right? And we're going to join a, a very special guest. We're full of Can surprises here real tonight. Online, so Honky Tonk Man was he in New York or was he in wherever he lives? And he he was in Massachusetts. He was so in this- Massachusetts. He had just wrestled Killer Kowalski. Right, and he could hear he this co- in Massachusetts. The show, um, I don't. He probably because it was it reached seven states, but it ha- Donnie Libel had something to do. Donnie probably had something to do with it. I would think. Right. Yeah, but he called just kind of, you know. I had just gotten back to. Uh, we're recording, right? Yeah. This still. Yeah. I had just gotten back to WEVD. I had a lot of heat with the WWF at the time because of the steroid stuff, the sex scandals, all the stuff that I was talking about. You know, I, I lost the time slot after, you know, I had a, you know, the partnership with Russo and then all that went crazy. Uh, but I got back on the air, but the WWF was sending legal letters. 
because uh, I was going to bring nails on. And, and, you know, I was very scared that there could be some legal ramifications. So I didn't want to go into that scandal stuff and cover what was going on in a, in, in a way that I did previously. So here's Honky calling up to stir some shit. And right after the match, he even says he just got done. So he just got done with Kowalski. Yeah. But three direct from Massachusetts. Uh, we're going to talk to the honky tonk man. Honky, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. But you forgot one thing. The greatest of all time. The greatest of I, all time. And I up. probably had the toughest match of my career tonight because I hadn't wrestled Terry Funk or Conan yet. I don't know how tough they are, but I had Walter Killer Kowalski. And I'm going to tell you right now, he's a tough man, but I stretched him from ring post to ring post. And he'll never get in the ring with a honky tonk man again, John. And let me say this. Two weeks ago, last Thursday, I was in that great city of New York. Compliments of the federal government. That's right, a subpoena from the U.S. Justice Department to testify in front of the grand jury investigating the WWF uh, and Titan go. Sports. And believe me, they asked a lot of tough questions, and I gave them the answers that they needed. Well, uh, I'm sure the uh, people in Connecticut appreciate the plug. <laughs> All I can say is I this. need some answers. Will you answer them? <laughs> answer them so the way that I need them answered. I can tell you this. I answered the questions to the best of my Start, ability uh, with the, the most truthfulness and all the knowledge that I had. With all the knowledge you had? And I'm a book of knowledge. And you're a book of knowledge. The greatest of all time. And Terry Funk, if you ever come out of retirement and you want to wrestle somebody, I'll shake, rattle, and roll you. <laughs> What a way to close uh, the program, man. <laughs> oh, boy. And, uh, well, uh, Honky, when, when are you going to be back up in this area for wrestling activities? Oh, I, wrestling, I want to know I, who his lawyer was. The, the, wrestling, they said, who was the, your lawyer, Honky Tonk, man? I've got, who was your lawyer? The, the lawyer, it was the U.S. Justice Department lawyers. These are federal prosecutors, two FBI agents. They depositioned me. For okay, okay, hand. okay. Whether we don't want to get into that. Hey, listen, guys, you know, I'm going to tell you all something right now, okay? Hello, hello, gentlemen, champions, uh, men of wrestling, superstars. Rings, and I had to tell them what the double cross was all about. <laughs> you told them what the double cross is about. You better believe it. What am I supposed to, guys? Guys, we only have a couple minutes to go here. Okay, we got a representative of the station sitting in the other room, freaking out. Uh, you know, this show is being listened to by the man himself in Connecticut. So say hello to him. Go ahead, say hi. Hi, Vince. Bye, Vince. Uh, okay, guys. Uh, listen, Honky, are you there? Hello. The finest everything that you can possibly want is on the Double Cross <laughs> Ranch, and, and we don't allow any varmints are sidewinders like you on the premises. Do you understand that or not? They're starting a feud right here on the program tonight. Uh, Honky, are you there? He's gone. Terry Funk is gone. Who is gone? What are we doing here? i got to cut him off. Okay, Honky, listen, thank you very much for the phone call, wherever you are in Massachusetts. And uh, Terry from the Double Give Cross. Give me the order. Get off the damn phone right now. We're just having a fine conversation until you He's get gone. here. He's gone. He's finished. Just hang up the phone, Honky. I thought he was, was going to talk about uh, Donnie Leibel that brought him on to talk about that match with Kowalski tonight. But uh, I guess he had some other things on his mind. We've got about one minute to go here. And uh, uh, hopefully we'll be back Honky next week to talk more to wrestling with you. the worst wrestler in the world today. Well, he's the already The very gone. worst. I can't think of one <laughs> person that I would like to go into the ring with more than honky-tonk, because well, I would we'll... assure myself 
of a victory going into the ring against the honky tonk because he is okay. such a lousy, poor <laughs> excuse for a professional athlete in the 90s. Wow. Terry. Yes. We got to wrap it up. We got to wrap it up. We only got about 30 but seconds I'm to go here. I'm ready to wrap it well, up. Well, we have to cut. You know, our show is our 200th show is next Saturday. Maybe you could join us for the 200th show celebration. I want to thank Conan uh, for stopping by here in New York to visit us. And Terry, I want to thank you for appearing from the Double Cross Ranch. Terry, we'll talk to you next week, okay? The honky tonk is a moron. <laughs> Okay, gentlemen. Uh, listen, we uh, we will return next week, hopefully, to talk more wrestling right here on this program. Uh, until next week, Conan, thank you very much for coming by. Thank we you. Will, thank you very much. And I just want to say bye one more time to my idol Terry Funk and a little a little bye to Vince. What comes around goes around. <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. That's a great. Isn't that crazy clip. shit? Yeah. Oh my God. When I heard that, I hadn't heard it for 30 years. I didn't remember it. See, that's what I got. I got the advantage of listening to these tapes. That's why my memory is good yeah. because it, it just refreshes back it. in. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that what it does with like, me, too. Woo. Crazy. Crazy but, um, stuff. Uh, yeah, that's good stuff there. And, um, you know, um. I'm sure a lot of people will be entertained listening to that. Oh, yeah. And oh, that's so that. that just clips, you know. Go to this Patreon to get the whole thing. Yeah. And and listen, I, I you know, uh, Joe Feeney is your producer, right? He does right. all your – because right. I, I sent you both of you guys links. If you guys want to use any of it, right. feel free. All right. I think you'll get a kick out of it, especially with the disco commenting on some of this stuff. I think you could, you could, you guys could have some fun with it if you'd like. Yep. My and definitely, pleasure, and like man. I was telling March, if you find anything in the future interesting, informative, controversial, funny, whatever, just send it to us, and we'll credit you guys. Oh, we got we got a lot. Believe yeah. me, we got a lot of stuff coming up because you know, basically, what the listeners have in store for them. Uh, just looking at, I'm just gonna pull something real fast. Yeah, it's like the at the end, he's trying to wrap it up, and you just twist the knife a little bit and you're like just real quick Vince McMahon like, like these, these, these are the next uh, like 10 shows and guests include uh, DDP first time ever on the show uh, Cactus again Nikolai Volkov uh, Meltzer comes on pretty frequently Medusa makes her first appearance Jimmy Cornette obviously he was a regular uh, guest uh, Poffo again the Cactus Jack injury against Vader Paulie mm. in the studio. I mean, it's like eat. It's just gold. This is gold. I got, yeah. you know, over 300 shows that I did. And um, just listening back at them, it was just kind of like, boy, this was this was groundbreaking. It was cool stuff. But what's even better is being able to bring somebody like yourself who was there 30 years ago, because a lot of these guys are not here anymore, to listen and and get your opinions and just get your reaction on what you said 30 years ago. Yeah. Well, it's a great trip down memory lane because I didn't remember any of it. And um, yeah. just funny to hear my voice 30 years ago, how I thought, how I expressed myself, how I carried myself. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have a lot of stuff from way back then. Um, so thank you for bringing me down memory lane. Uh, and um, it's uh, my pleasure, my friend. I mean, you you uh, you were somebody that uh, when I met 30 years ago and, and then was able to see the incredible 
uh, shows that were promoted when AAA came in and the respect that I've always had for you uh, and, and the fact that we could still talk and reminisce. Yeah. Uh, you're a dear well, friend, man. That's the beautiful thing, you know, because I've met so many great, you know, like anything else, you got to be good and you're bad. But, you know, I've met so many great people from Ray Mysterio to you to Meltzer, to, you know, so many great people that you do meet here. And it's all our love for wrestling. You know, that's why we're still yeah. doing it. We love wrestling. It's change and things are different, but we still love it. You know, I still love yeah. it. And, um, you know, I'm glad that you have your own podca podcast and you're finding your way you know, with so much competition and so many people trying to make money off of it, but you have something very special there, you know, that Thank has you. some value. Um, Thank you. So uh, I hope you keep reconnecting with people from back in the day that used to listen to your show, you know, cause you're one of the original super fans to me, you know, I'm sure there were super fans before you, but you know, you're before my time, you know, so you were back then back in the day and I salute you, bro. And, um, What's up to your boy, Marsh? And, uh, you know, let's, you know, keep doing the damn thing. I'll come on in the future and you can come on our show and just cross-pollinate. Yeah. I love that idea. And uh, let me know when you want to do that baseball show or bring Gibby on and then we'll yeah. really have some fun with him. He's, yeah, that'll he's, be at the beginning of baseball season because we do Excellent. our picks. Yeah. Excellent. All right, man. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to see you as always. Say hello to everybody for me. And, uh and uh, continued success with everything you do. Thank you very much. And I just want to invite everybody to check out my show, Keeping It 100 with uh, Conan and Disco. That's on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook. Click, clock, Everywhere. you don't stop. <laughs> Me and my boy, Disco Inferno, our producer, Joe, the Philly entrepreneur. Um, what was the name that I used to have for him? Philly twink boy, Feeney. <laughs> and... Um, uh, Come check us out. We do everything from sports to pop culture to politics to wrestling to anything that's you know people are talking about, and it's a very different formatted show. Come check us out. John's been on there before a couple of times already, right? Mm -hmm. and, oh yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, you know, one of the cool cats in the business. That's why we still keep in touch. And uh, good luck to both of you. And oh, um, you. that's what it is. Boom. Boom. Thank you, man. All right. Thank you. That was great. Great having him on. 30 years later, and he's still just as open and honest. The fact that he was that open and honest 30 years prior, like, yeah, this was great. It was awesome. It it was uh, it was for me, and uh, it was very genuine when I, when I had that show on, and he was so open and honest, and the things that he said, it was it was a revelation to me. I've had, yeah, obviously I had so many guests on, but he was like a straight shooter, 100%. Yeah, that's what stood out for me, is hearing him now, it's always like, oh, yeah, it's easy to, to, to not care anymore and say what you feel, like, later on, but to hear that, you know, it's kind of how he's always been, was it's yeah. not that he doesn't care, it's just that he's just that honest all the time. It was cool. Yeah. And that's what the magic of this show is. I mean, especially when you could bring on an Eric Bischoff and he could hear stuff that he's like, wow, you know, it's it's almost like it jars the memory. Yeah. I can't, you know, like, you know, obviously Conan didn't remember a lot of the, you know, a lot of the stuff that we, you know, back in the day with ECW. I mean, but look at the careers that these guys have had and look how many years have gone by and how many things they accomplished and how many people come in and out of their lives, you know? Yeah. 
So uh, the the little things I did back then, and I'll never forget that first ECW show, uh, picking up Psychosis and and uh, Ray at the airport and bringing them to the ECW arena for the first time. Conan was not there uh, for that one. Uh, he might have been at the building, but uh, but I remember bringing them in, and I remember the fans just like as soon as we got out of the car, that the fans were just like, "Oh my God, here they are!" You know, it was like that hardcore ECW bunch. And of course, they get into the arena, and uh, and they're cheering them, and then they look at me and they start chanting, "You fat fuck, you fat fuck!" <laughs> like, <laughs> Did they know who you were? Was, were they just ribbing you, or were they just yes. being dicks for no reason? And they no, that, it was like a very hardcore group of people who knew who I was. <laughs> it's messed up. I mean, that was the ECW yeah. arena. It was like that's what they did. I'll never forget yeah. it. And I was like, holy shit. You know, well, I guess you can't say the same necessarily for the when you got was it injury and someone to give him a hoagie, he'll be fine. I was a oh, give him a six foot hero, he'll be fine. Yeah, that's when I got the elbow from Mick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen, what are you gonna do? I mean, I was a lot heavier back then. I really was like this obese, so you know, three hundred and fifty pound dude uh back then and you know and everyone knew about my you know what the radio show, the conventions. uh, You know, people were. Uh, people were always trying to, you know, find a way to bring you down or capitalize on your misery. For sure. This is a cool episode. It's one of those special ones too. Like, I think it's always special to be able to go back and, and like, I mean, I got friends who are musicians and I find sometimes some of their old mixes that they sent me or old tracks and have shared it with them and be able to like, listen to that with them again. And you see the looks on their faces. They remember stuff and can't believe where they were that long ago. And, yeah, that's what makes things like this so special. Hearing it, seeing their face. Yeah, you know it was really cool on YouTube channel. Uh, that's YouTube.com/slash Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Somebody commented on the song that you found. Your friends, oh, yeah. you know the carry. Yeah, yeah, and they were just like blown away by it. So you know, check out the comments on the YouTube channel. You could see that comment there. But people, yeah, they, you know, they're freaking out about some of the stuff we're doing here right now. It's really cool. I think it's cool. Yeah, and I did send that that link and uh, to to the musician friend, and he said it totally made his day to see it like that. Yeah. So yeah. Hey, listen, if you like what we're doing here, just kind of share it. Let people know. I mean, let's grow the audience. And uh, if you're listening on Apple, give it a five star review. If you, I really would love you to to subscribe to you, the YouTube channel and uh, subscribe to the podcast so you get it every Thursday. If you're a patron, you get it on Sundays. Uh, patreon.com slash John Arezzi. So we're having fun with it. We're going to have more fun next week. And Marsh, uh, once again, always a pleasure. Let everybody know where they could find you on social media. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Ref Marsh, on Instagram at Marsh Ref. And yeah, go subscribe to the YouTube because I, I put a lot of effort into making things more visually compelling without uh, impacting the audio. So that way it's there's two sides to it. I don't know if you got a chance to see it, but the the Don Liable Warrior cast, I gave that a whole other look to it uh, to give it a feel for something special. So, yeah, give a subscribe to that YouTube and, and watch along. Yeah, people are digging it. And that's why, I mean, when I was trying to get Conan, you know, to get booked for this particular show, I made sure that I sent him some links to some of the recent shows that we've done and the visuals. And he was like, he was blown away by it. And he was like, absolutely, I'll do the show. Absolutely. Yeah, it was cool when you were talking about that. So, Yeah, very yeah. cool. All right, my friend. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up here. We'll uh, see you next week, of course. 
Uh, that's going to wrap up this edition of John Arisi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast. I want to thank our uh, Patreon executive producers, Anthony Pyrus and Joseph Holloway, and for all the patrons for uh, helping us uh, with the production costs for the show. Uh, please stop by patreon.com slash John Arisi. Five bucks a month gets you the archives of all of these radio shows. And uh, we'd really appreciate it if you, uh, uh, if you, you know, Invest five bucks a month, you know, it's less than a cup of coffee these days. And of course, check out the YouTube channel. Check out the other podcast that we do, Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden. It's out now covering the February 26, 1973 show. Patrons have an opportunity to see the main event, Pedro Morales versus King Curtis on 8mm film. I also shared a clip on that on my Twitter at John Arizzi, Instagram at John Arizzi as well. Until next week, when we relive more history with you. This is John Arizzi for the Pro Wrestling Spotlight.